You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Good morning. Here we are, Friday the 10th of April 2020, one of the most sacred days on the Christian calendar. A day when large numbers of people come to church, many of them people who wouldn't dream of darkening the doorstep of a church any other day of the year. But we can't do it this year. Who could have imagined even two months ago that on Good Friday no one would be going to church? Good Friday. Seems like a strange name when you think what it is commemorating. Injustice, torture, murder, in fact the most horrific and most unjust murder in history. Who came up with the description good for that, I wonder? But what was so good about that Friday? Let's consider some of the events to see just how good it really was. Now, we know that Jesus was frequently in contact with the religious leaders of his day and in conflict with them as well. From the day he announced his ministry had begun, they opposed him. From very early in his ministry, they made plans to kill him. Now, three years later, they have even less love for him, even less tolerance. Their patience had run out with this so-called rabbi, this rebel, this blasphemer, this troublemaker. So they plotted and schemed up a plan to rid themselves of this man forever. John eleven forty seven tells us, The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them said, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. That day was a dark day. It was a wicked day. It was a day leading up to the darkest day in history. Hardly what you would call good in any sense of the word. Now, when we measure our day, we tend to think of it starting around sunrise when we get up for work. We have roughly 12 hours of daylight, the sun sets, we go to bed, and it all starts up again the next morning. The Jewish day, though, starts when the sun goes down. They begin their day with 12 hours of night, then 12 hours of day. Interestingly, the Jewish day begins with rest, and then finishes with work. The reason I point this out is so that you realise that that first Good Friday actually began at sunset on Thursday. So the final hours of Jesus stretched from whenever it was he woke up on Thursday morning, and he usually woke up before the sun rose, right through the following night and on into the next day. He must have been close to exhaustion even before they began to torture him. His final hours are taken up with prayer, prayer offered up in such agony of soul that he sweats drops of blood. His final hours consist of being betrayed with a kiss by one of his followers, of being arrested by soldiers, 
bound and dragged off to trial in the middle of the night. His final hours consist of one of his closest disciples denying knowledge of him, and all the others hiding in fear. A false testimony given about him in a desperate attempt to find grounds to execute him. Of being mocked, blindfolded, beaten by soldiers in a kangaroo court that goes through the night and on, into, on, on until daybreak. And then is handed over to Pilate, who found no fault in him. But Pilate was too cowardly to defend him. Instead, Pilate had this innocent man flogged to within an inch of his life. They flogged him so brutally that they stripped the skin off his back, quite probably leaving his ribcage and his internal organs exposed. The soldiers jammed a crown of thorns on his head, mocked him, beat him, spat on him. And then in the final humiliation, they made him carry his own cross, the instrument of his own execution, to Golgotha, the place of the skull, where they stripped him naked, nailed him to that cross like a common criminal, and hung him up to die publicly and agonisingly. If this description of his last hours makes you feel ill, then you may have just grasped a little of the brutality, the horror, the monstrosity of it all. Listen to how the prophet Isaiah described this day 700 years earlier. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with a wicked and with a rich man in his death although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He endured horrific brutality and suffering. But at any moment he could have said enough and 12 legions of angels would have come to his rescue. But he endured it like a lamb led to the slaughter. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they nailed Jesus to that cross, more than 24 hours since he last slept. And he's endured the most brutal, the most evil hatred and the most unjust torture imaginable. And what was the reason they gave for putting him to death? 
Was it because he turned water into wine at a wedding? Was it because he gave blind sight to men, restored hearing to the deaf? Was it for feeding 5,000 hungry people with five loaves of bread and two fish? Was it for healing lepers and the lame? Was it for restoring dignity to women, to the poor, the outcast, to the oppressed? Was it for casting demons out of suffering people? Or for curing the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years? Maybe it was for raising the widow's son from the dead. For which of these great crimes did they execute Jesus? Well, for none of them, of course. From an earthly perspective, they put Jesus to death for claiming to be God, a blasphemy that they could not tolerate. But I wonder, is it blasphemy if it's true? From a heavenly perspective, though, they put Jesus to death as a sacrifice for sin the once-for-all sacrifice that they themselves have been seeking and looking forward to for centuries. This is why John the Baptist declares of him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They put him to death to pay the penalty for sin that they owed and that we owe. They put him to death to appease the wrath of God against sin, sin that had ripped apart his good, his very good creation sin that had spoiled and distorted his image in us. They put him to death so that he would destroy the works of the devil that hold us in bondage to sin. They put him to death so that he would destroy the one who has the power of death and deliver those who have been in lifelong slavery to the fear of death. Of course, none of his tormentors and mockers and executioners realised this when they were beating him, whipping him, nailing him to that cross. It is better that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish, they said. They thought they were just getting rid of another troublemaker. Get rid of this problem and we will be safe. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He meant it for our good. Maybe that's why they call it Good Friday. It was anything but good for Jesus, but it promises eternal good for humanity, for all who would turn to him in faith. You know, don't you, that he did this on your behalf? He did it because the law of God demands that you give perfect obedience to God for your whole life or die as a penalty. And you know, don't you, that you've never been able to live that life of perfect obedience. And for most of your life, you never even cared to try. And God knows that too. That's why Jesus came to earth, to do it on your behalf, to do it as your representative before God. And that's why he died, to receive the punishment that you deserve for your rebellion, but which you could never bear. That's what makes this Friday Good Friday. Jesus Christ has done for us what we could never do and he offers the benefits of it for free to all who would believe. If you don't not yet know the eternal good and the eternal life which is offered to you and freely offered to you by the events of Good Friday, why wait any longer? The cross is the evidence that sin is serious. 
Serious enough that when God said that the penalty for sin is death, he wasn't joking. And when his son was nailed to that cross, he was made sin on our behalf. He carried the weight, the burden of sin that we couldn't carry. And he received the punishment that we couldn't bear on our behalf. He did it on your behalf if you would just trust him. You don't need any special stirring. You don't need emotional manipulation. You don't need to hear an angelic choir from heaven. And you don't need to get your life sorted out before you do it. If you could do that, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come in the first place. Remember Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. All you need to do is trust. Jesus, I believe that you died on my behalf to pay the penalty for my sin, my past sins, my present sins, and even my future sins. Jesus, would you wash me clean from my sin and give me a fresh beginning? It doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. His promise of eternal life is not only made possible by the cross, it is made sure by the cross. When Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished, he wasn't just declaring that his life was finished. He was proclaiming that his work was done. He had completed what he came to do. He had carried the burden of sin. He had absorbed the furious wrath of God, turning it away from us who deserve it. And instead, he extends grace and mercy and peace and forgiveness and reconciliation for all who would believe. The Bible sometimes talks as if inanimate objects have consciousness. It talks about the trees clapping their hands and rocks crying out. We could continue that thought when we read about the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. While Jesus is hanging on the cross in agony in the middle of the day, the sky goes as black as night, as if the sun could not bear to look on this abomination. Then the moment Jesus dies, the earth shakes, rocks split, tombs break open, as if the very earth itself is shuddering with great heaving sobs of grief. Is that too far-fetched for you? Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. If even senseless inanimate objects feel the horror of what what was done to the Son of God, how is it that we humans can be so casual about it? Good Friday finishes in silence. Jesus is dead. The one that they had hoped would be the promised Messiah, the one they thought would redeem Israel, is now lifeless. His body is lying on a slab in a cold, dark tomb. And all that is left is confusion, despair, doubt, hopelessness, fear, silence. And that's where we'll leave it. We know Sunday's coming. We know there's a resurrection to look forward to. There'll be time for that on Sunday. But I'd like us all today to feel a little bit of the gravity of that first Good Friday. 
to feel the weight of the sin that nailed him to that cross. I want all our cocky arrogance or our complacency to be tempered by the knowledge that it was our sin that nailed him to that cross. That's not an upbeat, positive note to leave you on, but we need to understand the seriousness of sin if we are truly to appreciate the graciousness of the work that was done on our behalf on that Good Friday. Tomorrow is Saturday. On Saturday, his followers huddled in silence and confusion and despair, lamenting the failure of Jesus' mission and maybe lamenting their own foolishness for following after him. We know the end of the story, but we could do with a little lamenting ourselves, lamenting over our own sin that sent him to the cross and that kept him there until it was finished. Would you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, this day, this dreadful day, was only necessary because we humans have all sinned against you. From Adam, the first man, right down to me and every one of us, we have rebelled against you. We have turned our back on you. We have misrepresented you. We have disobeyed you. We have blasphemed you. And the one, the only one, who deserves our obedience and our praise and our adoration took on instead the burden of our rebellion and sin. He took on the punishment that we deserved. He bore the sentence of death that should have been ours. Father, our mouths are stopped when we think of what we have brought on your Son. And we mourn the sin in our hearts and in our, in our lives that required this brutal act to be done for us. Would you create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. And we pray this in the precious name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I'll be back on Resurrection Sunday with a message from John chapter 3, verses 30 and onwards. Would you please pray for me as I prepare? Thank you. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.